Welcome to Coffee and Conservation, hosted by Dr. Beth Baker, Assistant Extension Professor in the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Aquaculture at Mississippi State University. From water and soil to habitat and food production, Dr. Baker and her guests discuss the necessity and complexity of conservation in the U.S. Okay, welcome back to another edition of Coffee and Conservation. We are here with Dr. Jason Barrett, and he is an assistant extension professor at the Center for Government and Community Development here at Mississippi State University. Good morning. Morning. Should you get your coffee? You're all set, set to go? I am set to go. Okay, we are happy to have you. Thank you for joining us, taking time out of your day. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, so we are going to talk about a n- number of different things today, starting with water protection and particularly around private well owners. Um, so we're calling this the private well owner edition. Um, but before we jump into discussing that, can you tell us and our audience a little bit about your background and how you came into your current position? I, I find that often when we work together here at the university, we have no idea the paths we took to, to get into our current position. So I'm always really curious to hear about that. So if you could give us a little background, that'd be great. Sure. Um, I would say there's a lot of there's a lot of pieces to this puzzle, but just more of a direct line uh, my, I'm going to say undergrad and master's were in ag economics uh, here at Mississippi State. So when I decided to come back, uh, my first position back at Mississippi State was with the Department of Ag Economics. And at that time, they had some projects that were already funded through the state health department, uh, Mississippi State Department of Health, that were working with and assistance to uh, community water systems in the state. Uh, and at the time, I was uh, I was really open to whatever was going on or whatever we needed to focus on. So those were my first two projects, and it uh, I ran with those, enjoyed it, and have just continued to expand and work with that uh, group of people in the state. So starting in ag economics, it wasn't necessarily planned that you'd move into kind of community water development correct yeah I grew up uh and you know third generation row crop farmer on a a cotton soybean and rice farm uh row crop agriculture I would say has probably always been my my background and interest and love uh never really thought I would be dealing with water community water systems um again it's just what seemed to seems to be my path and I enjoy it and just continue to work with it. Mm-hmm. And it's a very important topic, which is why we're covering it today. And so before we, you know, get into some of the um, the nuances and concerns related to private wells or what people would need to know, let's talk about what a private well is, because a number of our listeners probably live in cities and don't deal with private wells. Sure, sure, sure. Well, from a basic sense, if we want to think about a well, uh, we're thinking about some connection between the, the surface and, and possibly human consumption and a groundwater supply. Um, and I must say maybe with um, progress of, of uh, how to obtain it or how to actually draw water from the ground, uh, almost everything now is a drilled well and there'll be some type of casing whether it's PVC or or uh, steel uh, 
most, if not all, private wells will have uh, PVC casing. They'll be less than six inches diameter. Almost all of them that I've seen are four inches in diameter, uh, and most of them are shallow. You know, average depth that we're seeing is somewhere around 200 foot or a little bit shallow, a little bit, little bit shorter than that. Uh, but again, you'll be uh, small casing diameter, uh, somewhat shallow, and then you'll have a small volume pump that may be giving you, you know, two to ten gallons per minute and typically just serving one home or, or maybe two homes at most. So to break that down just a little bit further and, and to kind of rephrase, we are talking about a kind of man-made engineered structure that's drilled into the ground to extract water from a natural groundwater source. So the, that this is an under, aquifers or groundwater is just water stored in a underground layer, which is a natural phenomenon. But some people, when we talk aquifers, are not even aware of what that is. Sure, yeah. And um, I would say, you know, in Mississippi, I feel like we are amazingly blessed in the sense that you can drill into the ground just about anywhere and and hit an underground aquifer at fairly shallow depth. Uh, and get drinking water sure mm-hmm. so yeah you're right especially with really minimal treatment so if so if municipalities or you know cities are using surface water there's a treatment step that has to usually occur before it's delivered to the consumers where our groundwater sources are just sure relatively ready to go right and you know and we could really you know run on that but but staying on private wells i mean it is a groundwater source because when you start talking about surface water uh, especially for drinking that's a much more volatile uh, product just because it's exposed to so many things continually Mm -hmm. whereas your groundwater supply a lot of times is confined uh, or possibly confined which is great uh, beneath the ground beneath the surface yeah okay so we're here in Mississippi, which, of course, we have many uh, rural areas, uh, as as well as many other parts of the United States are rural. rural, And um, those are typically the clients we're talking about that have private wells or that private wells would serve. So thinking about that population and, and the wells that they would have to maintain or put in the ground, um, who regulates those those water sources right you know who who's in charge of maintaining them and also regulating them because this is an important point about private wells yeah yeah well uh i guess to 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 kind of drop back big picture for a second the 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 groundwater um is is a uh, product i'm gonna say of the state Uh, so when it comes to a private well the way things are right now, policies, regulations, uh, in Mississippi, any well with a casing diameter less than six inches is not regulated. So there's no uh, regulatory oversight from the state level at all. Uh, there are some places where you can get assistance related to them. Uh, the only, I must say, oversight is the the desire from Mississippi Department of Environmental Quality for the well drillers to submit that well log to Mississippi Department of Environmental Quality. But if it's less than six inches in diameter, uh, 
the homeowner nor the well driller have to obtain a permit to drill the well. Uh, so we really rely on the good faith of the licensed well driller to drill it uh, per drilling design codes uh, and in a, a you know safest manner for the homeowner. Right, and that permitting process, um, like many permitting processes, processes, I know can seem tedious, but the, the point of having it logged with MDEQ, right, is just so that on a larger scale, we can manage our water better. We can know where wells are, how much is being pumped, things like that. Sure, sure, because a lot of people are not aware, uh, I'm going to say, you know, no pun intended, but the, the fluidness of our aquifers and how, uh, you know, one well being put in adjacent to another well, they can affect each other just because the drawdown and depending on how coarse the soil is, uh, how water may move through it. Uh, so depending on where you are, uh, you know, your well you know, being run at full capacity may have a very, very minimal drawdown, whereas if you're in another part of the state, that same well, just because you, you may have a more compact soil, uh, when it's running, it may have a, 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 a deeper drawdown. So if you have a well adjacent to it, you know, that may be shallower, the pump may be set shallower than yours, uh, you could basically use the water where they wouldn't have access to mm -hmm. any. So it is very important because uh, I think DEQ does a really good job of trying to monitor um, and see what our supply is. And in order to do that, they need to know where the wells are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So once it's permitted, put in the ground in the safest and, and most appropriate manner, um, and we've got a working well, on the back end then, ensuring the quality of that water, and you may have said it, but let's just re reiterate it in case it wasn't clear, um, what might be some concerns related to the maintenance of the well long-term and, and maybe human health concerns related to quality of the water? Okay. With a private well, as we said, uh, it's not regulated. So when it's not regulated, that means there's not a federal or state uh, agency or group that uh, has, I'm going to say, certain restrictions or requirements on the, the drinking water supply. So the private well is the sole responsibility of the owner. Whoever owns that property uh, and is using that supply is the responsible person for that well. You're responsible for the installation. You're responsible for the electric cost to run it. You're responsible for any type of maintenance of any type of uh, replacement of any of the equipment. Um, the homeowner or the landowner is the sole responsible official for that. So under that mindset of just kind of financial responsibility, we also can roll into the water quality responsibility. Uh, dealing with private wells, it's very important uh, when we start talking about wellhead protection, we start talking about protecting the area around that wellhead. Uh, realizing that you really want to avoid any type of, I'm going to say, possible contaminants that may be close to or can possibly run off around that well casing that could possibly run down that shaft and, and I'm going to say, get into that aquifer or get into that supply. You want to avoid that as much as possible. 
uh, a lot of best practices around, you know, commercial wells or to have, um, you know, you'll have a sealed wellhead area mainly sealed with uh, some bentonite, and then you'll have a concrete pad that may extend out, you know, at a minimum two foot in each direction from the well. So what you're trying to do is eliminate the possibility of any runoff or anything being able to access that that well shaft area. So you mean some type of pollutant contaminant on the surface of the soil that would leach downward through the soil into that water source that you're essentially pumping water from? Correct. Because uh, in one sense, you know, if there's a contaminant on the surface, uh, you know, it may have to leach through hundreds of feet of soil uh, before it may reach an aquifer, okay? But when you drill a four-inch well, you actually drill a hole that's bigger than that so that you can get the actual shaft uh, of that well set, and then you seal it, like I said, with some type of bentonite um, mixture, and then hopefully you put some type of concrete pad over the top. But do realize you've created a very clean, open connection between the surface and the aquifer. So around that well there is actually a direct space. It is a direct, it's called an annular space uh, which is between basically the soil and the well casing uh, which is a direct conduit to that groundwater supply. Can you give our listeners, and I hate to put you on the spot, but can you give our listeners an example of what type of contamination that could be? Ooh, uh, yeah, I'll give you a good one. Sometimes, again, you mentioned it earlier, talking about these wells being in a lot of rural areas. Uh, We had a well that was adjacent to a pasture that was holding a few horses, and and it was kind of downhill at an angle from a a chicken house where they actually unloaded chickens. Uh, So again, you have a well, and the fact that it's downhill from both of those sources so you have uh, a horse pasture uh, so you have fecal matter from that horse pasture you have fecal matter from the 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 chicken houses where they're cleaned out so any type of rain event would allow that fecal matter to possibly run towards the well and go down into the water supply so when we were sampling that well uh, it really didn't surprise me when we had uh, positive E. coli in it mm-hmm. just because of the contaminants that are close by. Now that was a well that did not have any type of uh, concrete pad or anything around. It was simply the casing and dirt. That was it. That's a really good example though because I think initially too I just pictured some type of like if you had animals right around the wellhead right on top but it's even better that your example was it was away from the well but uphill so thinking about just water surface water transport and where it's moving relative to your wellhead too even when you go to install it sure sure and that's a you know we've had these conversations before uh, between landowners or either property owners or or growers uh, and the well drillers Uh, I would say this uh, from every licensed well driller that I've worked with they are very knowledgeable of all of this and they want to drill the well in the best place to prevent all of these things from happening and in discussions with them they say they have some heartburn sometimes when people call about getting a well drilled and the well driller will say it needs to be here and the property owner will say well I want it over here so you may have these instances where the homeowner wants it someplace that's convenient 
but may not be the actual safest place for it. Right. And in that case, I'm sure there just needs to be a, a, maybe a longer discussion in some general knowledge building about why why it needs to go in a specific location. Sure. Um, so getting back on the fact that it's non-regulated, um, and I feel like we almost need to just reiterate that, that it's the, the sole responsibility of the landowner or homeowner to check the quality of the water routinely. Um, you know, if you live in a city, you turn on the tap, you just expect it to be clean because it's coming from a municipal source that should be um, testing it, ensuring the quality of the water before it's delivered to consumers. Not the case with a private well because you're the sole responsible person. So just kind of want to shout louder in the back so everybody realizes that then it's their responsibility to be checking that water, which isn't, you know, isn't something you can necessarily DIY, right? Correct. I, w- <laughs> I, w- I would agree with that, yes. So walk us through kind of the steps of, of, you know, if I'm a private well owner, how often I should be checking my water and how I'd even go about that. Where would, where would the resources be? How would I take a sample? Who would I send it, send it to? Okay. Uh, before getting to that point, uh, I always try to reference uh, community systems, community water systems that are regulated through the Safe Drinking Water Act and then by your, your state primacy agency. And through those regulations, uh, those community systems are taking monthly bacteriological samples. So if we're looking across the nation, and for all community systems, we're taking monthly bacteriological samples, you know, it's a pretty good, I must say, practice if you're on a private well to look at getting it, to look at getting it tested uh, or screened once a month. Uh, at a bare minimum, I would, I would recommend folks getting it screened at least once a year. Uh, but what I've found, you know, from our years of working with it, uh, most homeowners, they'll get it screened when it's initially set, initially installed, and then won't do it again until we're in proximity. So sometimes it's 5, 10, 20 years and people will bring a well sample in and say, you know, we haven't had the well screen since we put it in 20 years ago. So I would definitely say at a bare minimum, I would tell you to have it screened at least once a year, okay? Uh, now with that, when you say, okay, what is a screening? What are we screening for and how do we do that? Uh, from a bacteriological standpoint, to me, I would say that was your, your, your main concern. Uh, you're gonna ha- if you're going to have it screened, uh, whoever you contact, whoever you get up with, tell them you want to screen for uh, total coliform, uh, which almost all places that are going to be screening for that, they'll, they'll check for total coliform, and if that's present, then they'll check for E. coli. If there's no total coliform present, there, there's not going to be E. coli present. But total coliform is, is um, I mean, it's kind of an umbrella, you would think, for a bacteria. So that would... Uh, that would be at a bare minimum what you would want to check for, what you'd want to get screened for. Now in Mississippi, I must say you really have three options and with all I would tell you uh, you need to expect to pay something. Uh, it's, not a, it's not really a free service. Uh, and I'll start with probably the most expensive. Um, there are a number of private labs around the state and 
you can simply, uh, you know, look online for, you know, private labs in Mississippi. Uh, again, there's several reputable labs around the state. You can even look on the state health department's website for what they have are, are called certified labs, participating labs. Uh, and that's healthymississippi.com, and you can look it up just under their certified labs. So you can access one of those labs, and you can simply say, I have a private well, I'm needing to get it screened for bacteria. Uh, pretty straightforward, uh, but there will be a cost associated with that. Uh, the next, uh, you could actually get up with, there's a division of the state health department called the Division of On-Site Wastewater, and they do provide some assistance with private wells, and they have a, a, um, a I'm going to call it a hotline you can call to schedule this, this well sample. Uh, I really think the easiest way is to go to their website. It's healthymississippi.com backslash www.apply, uh, and you simply can go through the process and say you're trying to get a well sample, private well sample. I believe the cost is $10.00. Um, they'll communicate with you, they'll come out, pull the sample, and then send you the results. Um, that's another manner, and that's through the Mississippi State Department of Health Division of On-Site Wastewater. And then also here at Mississippi State University Extension, we have a program that's called the Mississippi Well Owner Network, and with that, we actually go out to the counties uh, specifically, we kind of target areas, and uh, you know, a good couple of weeks prior to the training and screening, we will send all the sample bottles and instructions to the county extension office. Homeowners can come pick that up, uh, and it has step-by-step and picture instructions on how to properly pull a well sample. Uh, and then we will come on site day of. People can bring their samples, attend the workshop. Uh, usually the fee associated with that is about $20, $25. Uh, and then after the workshop, we'll run the screens, we'll send the results back to the homeowners. But we really target areas, uh, and then the homeowners come to us with the state health department. They will come to the homeowner uh, in the private lab. You'd be contacting them, and they would come out. So those, to me, are your, your three options. Uh, to me, all of them very easy to access, fairly reasonable in cost uh, to the homeowner. But you do have options within the state to get your well screened. Fantastic. That was an incredible amount of, of good information and resources for people um, to utilize if, if they have a private well and they want to, want to do some screening. Um, along, along those same lines, uh, especially with the, the Mississippi State Extension Well Owner Network, Network, which you lead, correct? Correct. That is correct. Okay. So how do you target certain areas that you choose? Well, uh, one thing we've done, and we've put out a publication uh, called Mississippi Private Well Owner Populations, where we've, uh, I'm going to say we've got a method, uh, I'm going to say we, it's me, Uh, we've got a method. (laughs) The whole group. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, we've got a method that we use to determine where the private well populations are, and in simplest form, we're taking census data, U.S. Census data that tells us the population of a county, and we compare that with the Mississippi State Department of Health Bureau of Public Water Supply data, which shows us the number of people on a community water system, and we have the difference. And that difference is going to be people that are served by private wells, because regardless of what some people may think or not know, uh, 
everybody has to have drinking water. So if we have a population within a county and they're not being served by a community water system, we can pretty much guarantee they're drinking from a private well or private supply. So by doing that study, uh, that gives us a really good idea of where the private well populations are in the state. Uh, we have a pretty um, heavy pocket in north Mississippi around the DeSoto, Tate, Marshall County areas, and then also on the coast, those coastal Hancock, uh, Harrison, Jackson, Pearl River. Uh, those are some really um, heavy populated counties for private wells. So through that publication, uh, I'm able to see where the, the populations are, and then we try to focus our efforts in those areas. Which is uh, not only a phenomenal program, but just uh, you know, a creative way and an important, an important population that needs to be reached. And I think uh, for folks that live in cities and how much data we have access to these days, it can be not, not intuitive for some people how little data we can have on private wells in rural areas. Um, how many people have them, where they are. Uh, it's, it's kind of just, you know, it's one of those things you'd, you'd expect that an agency has that data, but historical records are often hard to come by. It wasn't that long ago that things weren't digitized. And essentially, you know, a well can be put in without people knowing. So that data that you're generating and the, the populations that you're targeting, um, it's really important because it's not always data that every state has. Sure, and one thing to note, uh, when we first started looking at this about 2013-2014 area, uh, we looked back and the 1990 census was the last year that they actually asked about people being on private wells. You know, they were asking what people, what their drinking water supply was. So to that point, I mean, it was almost 25 years since we need, we had good, accurate data. So things had definitely changed, uh, not near as much as I thought, uh, but things had changed. And actually speaking with the census people, their mindset was any new growth in population would automatically be on a community system, and that's uh, we're not finding that to be the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Okay, fantastic. All of this uh, is going to be super helpful to our listeners, especially, especially those in rural areas who may have private wells. And we appreciate you coming on today and, and sharing all that information um, so that folks can continue to access drinking water safely and uh, maintain their systems well into the future. So thank you. You're welcome. As always, you can find more information on our website or in the show notes after the show. And we always want to acknowledge and thank our primary sponsor, the Mississippi Natural Resources Conservation Service, for their support of this podcast. Thanks for joining us for Coffee and Conservation. To find out more about the topics discussed, visit the REACH website at reach.msstate.edu or the Mississippi State University Extension Service website at extension.msstate.edu. Thank you.